the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, delighted to have Lewis Hallman with us. Usually, Lewis is joined by his father, Hugh. Hugh is on travel. He'll be uh, joining us uh, with Lewis next week. Lewis is the Managing Director of Insight Analytics, LLC, I-N-C-I-T-E, Analytics, LLC. And it's great to have you here, Lewis. Thank you, sir. Seth, it's always a delight. Great. Thank you. Thank you. You bring a lot of interesting um, – you, you're like um, – you, you bring a lot, of, a lot of interesting philosophy down from the clouds and apply it to uh, contemporary conundrums. And uh, you have been chomping at the bit – excuse me, champing at the bit. It's actually champing. Yes. Champing at the bit – to talk with us about a, I guess it would be fair to call him a, maybe the first political psychologist. One of them, certainly, yeah. Yeah, and his name is Jean, as in J-E-A-N, Piaget, spelled the way the watch is, P-I-A-G-E-T. And he had an interesting theory that you think applies to a lot of the things we think and talk about here. And uh, I'll just let you open up, and we'll have uh, our usual uh, seminarial conversation. Let's do it. Okay. So you, you actually set me up pretty well for this in your, your monologue this morning, uh, or, or earlier today, excuse me, uh, where you, you talk about juvenile thinking, yeah. really, and, yeah. and how it's been uh, 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 very, very difficult to combat. Uh, I think you brought it up in the context of um, thinking about how we should legalize or what the legal status of things like sex work and and narcotics should be and immigrants, and, and, and immigrants. <laughs> yeah right and and you you were recounting the story that that uh, as a as a younger man i think talking to an older conservative yeah. You, yeah. you were asking about these yeah. and, and the older conservative said that you should think about the kind of world that you want to live in whether yeah. you want to live in a society that tolerates these issues and has to deal with them continually, or if you want to live in a society where these issues then are, are utterly withdrawn from the public consciousness because of that that agreement. Um, right. And so I, I've been thinking a long time about uh, w- what is going on with the state of political discourse here in the U.S. and and abroad. You know, that we, we talk a lot about social media as a culprit for why things are, are so deranged. Yeah. Um, but I want to turn our attention back towards ourselves okay. a little bit and into how we think about uh, uh, public policy in our own places in the world and what kind of cognition, what kind of thought processes are necessary to have an informed, functional democracy. And what, what was remarkable to me about reading this research from Piaget and then later by uh, Suzanne Cook-Green, who is the the primary person I'm going to be referencing here today, um, talking through uh, an analysis, really, of different stages of cognitive development, how people sort of grow and adapt themselves. And, and what's really interesting is that 
obviously we don't all develop at the same rate or in the same way, and we don't reach the same stage at the end necessarily, right? Uh, this this development is sort of a, a continual process. And so you might think about an infant, right? An infant really only has a conception of the self, right? right? An I am right. type thing. Right. And one of the one of the things that's that's true it's about the most selfish person you'll find is the infant. Indeed. Right. Yeah. Well, the infant itself is is I think less selfish than the two year old, which oh, is okay. the second stage. Uh, I'll so, stop so, interrupting. Go so, ahead. So yeah. the infant okay. is only vaguely uh, 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 becomes eventually aware of an I, and once they once they do that, they start to move into that two year old. Okay. Infants themselves are are really. Uh, pre-egoistic. Sensorial. Right? They don't have a sense of self. Right. That's, they move by sensor. But once Sen- you, sensing. Right. Sense. Right. But once you get into that, that sort of two-year-old stage, you get into what's called the impulsive stage of okay. development, okay. where you realize that, that you exist and there are legitimate external forces operating in the world. And you don't understand the mechanics behind these forces because you haven't understood second dimensional thinking or okay. second person thinking. That would be the you. First person is I. Second person is you. Third person is he. Right. And so, or she or it. Uh, so an infant then uh, uh, only is able to, to view the world in the most uh, Hobbesian, nightmarish, you know, nasty, brutish, and short type of way. And what's fascinating is if you survey adults psychologically, broad spectrum, uh, um, and you do a population survey, roughly 4% of the population doesn't really move beyond that stage. It's very rare. Uh, uh, it doesn't happen often. But you might think of sort of the stereotype of the kind of person that might, might, might be this way. Um, uh, very egoistic, um, motivated principally by, by fight and flight response. Uh, test pilots, for instance, it has been stipulated, may fall into some of this category sometime or at least access this type of thinking more often. Um, because if you're in this type of mode, again, you're not, you're not very concerned with self-preservation to the same degree. It is a, a very uh, sort of dark and dynamic mode. But again, this is fairly rare. Now, the first one that I think is really important is getting into what's called the conformist stage of development. You start to see this around uh, childhood as people develop a, not only that, that first person sense, right, that I exist, and the second person sense that you exist, but a child starts to develop a third person sense, that there are groups outside of ourselves that exist, and these groups have stable uh, functions and order. Now, when a, when a child thinks about the kinds of others that exist in the world, right, there are two types. There are their own family, which is their, their, their tribe, their group, and this group provides them identity, their values, and their protection. Okay. A child is not able to moralize and can't come up with its own moral foundation. And so they adopt effectively these sort of these codified values from their family, from their group, from their tribe to facilitate uh, uh, their development and, and, and their growth. Now, the other type of other is everyone else, everyone who is not in their immediate family, everyone who is different uh, uh, and is part of then that outgroup. So a conformist person then is is someone who is uh, very very interested in well conforming. They have a they have a tremendous need to be accepted, and so they will think uh, 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 it's very important to be really nice, pleasant, good looking, 
Uh, people judge uh, 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 by how they look. They take great care on neatness uh, and their outward appearance, these types of things. And they start to accept norms uh, uh, really without questioning or inspecting them, right? Because everything is coming from that, that family. Now, about 10 or 11% of the population is in this, is in this sort of stage of development. Even um, as adults. Even it as, carries this even as adult development ca- exactly through the, okay through their exactly adult. okay and and so what's interesting is this is the sort of person you can start to maybe recognize and start to encounter in the world right um, with some frequency and now the, the the real reason that I wanted to talk about this and I, maybe we, we we pause a moment and, and you can interrogate me for a moment because I know I'm unloading a lot it's on good. you and I'm the fine. audience I'm tracking go ahead so the next stage is what's called the expert or the technician. And this stage is the prototypical teenager stage, right, where you start to look at themselves as object from a distance, right? You start to get that third-person sense of yourself. And what that does is it starts to give you this notion of, of groups, of yourself among groups. You start to realize psychology as a set of stable, long-term traits, and you act, uh, uh, again, in, the, in in these groups. And so... Teenagers, you, you would recognize as being very, very cliquish, right? Their their team or the other way, and they, they think that they're always right, right? There's a there's a certainty that happens here uh, that that is uh, very, very challenging to deal with. And what's fascinating is that this this teenagerhood sort of mindset is the most common developmentally among the population at over thirty five percent of the populace. Now, if you'll do the math on what we've added up here, we've gotten We're at about half, just over 50%. Yeah, yeah. And now what, what's amazing about this, and the reason I've been dragging this out, is that the goal of modern Western society is the next stage, is the conscientious stage, an achiever, someone who recognized themselves with a fully integrated perspective as a third-person individual who can see themselves as part of a group and distinct from a group, who can then develop a, a morality and make decisions based on it. Is that the other 50%? No, actually. There are many stages that go beyond this. And as we come back, I want to maybe start to unpack some of those with you because you can learn to see what happened in our very recent development of uh, not only political economy Mm -hmm. and society as well, but uh, some of the madness that I think we've been seeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see where you're going, I think. And this is fascinating um, for explaining the kinds of behaviors that confound us or that we see people engaging in, whether, I hate to use the phrase, but people will know it, and that's why I use it, the Karen-type person, exactly. um, the fearful-type you, person. You can start angry, to see right. these yes. archetypes okay. as okay. you think about archetypes. them. Archetypes, that's the right one. And, and what's, what's fascinating is that they start to, to really make sense of what craziness we're seeing. If okay. half of the population is undeveloped, that starts to make sense of why we see so much juvenile politics. Well, beautiful. Lewis Hallman and I explaining the craziness. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. That's Carol Kay on that nice bass riff going into that song, uh, Windy. Lewis Hallman is my guest. We're coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, which is brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Lewis is giving a psychological, a political a political psychological explanation for the craziness in our society. All right, Lewis. So we're talking about the other 50% of this population. We're using a um, Piaget paradigm. Can I call it that? Sure, sure. And um, we're at the conscientious stage you were talking about. 
Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. Go, go ahead. Sir. So, so but before we'd left, we we just had touched on what's called the self-conscious stage, and uh-huh. I want to I want to tarry there for just a moment, if I may, may. Uh, to to really kind of pound away at, at what is going on okay. here. This is again, so this this self-conscious stage. This represents about thirty-five percent of the population, and is in fact the most common uh, 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 stage of development for a random selected person to be at, whether or not they are an adult. And again, this is that that teenager stage. I'd like to read you a description, if sure. I may, from Suzanne Cook-Gruder's uh, uh, description of this stage. Okay. So, people start to express their own personhood more in contrast to other. They also wa- uh, assert more of their own wants and needs, which are suppressed at stage three, for the, the, that would be that, that previous childhood stage, for the sake of being accepted. However, now they want to be accepted by others because of their difference. They also tend to want to be better than others, stand out from the crowd. The group is needed, but one stands at the periphery threatening to leave without ever quite leaving. This stage, person, uh, this stage's persons also often feel that they have figured it all out. They know all of the answers. They know what to believe. They feel righteous, and they put others in, in the wrong. Mm-hmm. They have high moral standards and a strong sense of what should be. Isn't that interesting? It sounds exactly like the kind of caterwauling that we see on social media continually. Mm-hmm. Do that this last is, sentence again, if you don't mind, that concluding sentence. Can you do that? Absolutely. Okay. So. The self-conscientious stage persons often believe they have figured it all out. They know all of the answers. They know what to believe. They feel righteous and often put others in the wrong. They have high moral standards and a strong sense of what should be. So these are people who who are at the stage where they've begun to notice stable psychological traits in other groups and in themselves. They are starting to uh, uh, differentiate themselves and come up with a concrete self-identity, which involves a lot of experimentation and a lot of trial and error. And that will also then imply a rabid commitment to whatever they, they decide makes up that identity, which is where you start to see a lot of what I would describe as the mindless partisanship come in. If we have a lot of people in this stage who are doing most of the talking online, and because, of course, social media is an outrage mob and an outrage machine, mm-hmm. the dumb, angry stuff always goes further and farther. Mm-hmm. And so this is exactly the root of that, that issue, I would think. Okay. Okay. So that, that I think, is a, is, a, is a really good overview of that, that teenager dumb stage. And not, now I'd like to talk, if I may, about the conscientious stage. Now, this is the goal of Western uh, uh, society, really, is to get people to this stage. Okay, this is that se- that part of that second half exactly. of the population. Yeah. Okay. Now we're getting into that second half okay. of the population. Okay. Now, about 30% of the population hits this, this conscientious stage, which is, again, where, where we're really trying to get people. And at this conscientious stage, you, you have a fully-fledged sense of, of, your pers- of yourself as a third person entity. Um, Let me read you a bit of some of this description, and we'll see sort of what comes out of it. Conscientious adults generally believe in the perfectibility of humankind and in the scientific method to uncover truth. Formal operations and abstract rationality are at their peak use. People believe that the proper scientific methods of investigation and procedures will eventually lead to the discovery of how things really are, including human nature. Conscientious adults are willing to work through the betterment of the world according to what they deem is good for all. They have more tolerance than the self-conscious persons for some delay between positive action and results, research and findings, questions and answers, and are less likely to believe that they do not need others to achieve their goals. Okay. So we, he, we see here rational adults compromise and, and a, a notion of belief that there is an objective truth uh, that we can find. I would say, there, yes. is, yeah. there is a reasonableness. Right. And what's fascinating is that this is the stage that, that we based our... our 
Enlightenment era model of mm -hmm. of that we a can democracy all do this. Right. that we can all do this right. exactly. And it is this type of thinking I think that is most civilizationally relevant at in the Enlightenment. You start to see this kind of, mm -hmm. of thinking emerge. Mm -hmm. One of the very powerful things about this model, if I can, if I can. I'll, uh, I'll get you for a digression, is that you can apply these not only to individual humans, but I think that there is a, a case to be made that you can use a lot of the, the material here, a lot of the concepts in these individual stages of development and talk about humanity as a whole. So for instance, the infant pre-verbal stage might be analogized very neatly to a pre-prehistory uh, uh, pre hunter-gatherer society where we lived in bands of 100 people. We had no interaction with the outside I'm world. I'm thinking of an amoeba that moves based on very sensation. Much, very much. You and, touch and it and it moves. That, or that is attracts. a proto-band of people, right. my friend. And and once you get into the terrible twos, what does this sound like but the Assyrian Empire? Right, right. right? Okay. Ravaging the, the countryside, uh, flaying people and building columns out of them. Mm -hmm. Once we get into the childhood stage, this to me sounds very much like the Middle Ages. Shared group religious identity transcending ethnic groups Ironically, starting to develop. the Middle Ages, yeah. Go ahead. Right. We then get into uh, uh, the teenager years uh, 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 at the high Middle Ages, the age of the Crusades and the Renaissance, the age of early exploration, where we start to see uh, the viciousness which with we, we treat one another and the certainty with which we cling to our own ideals. Mm -hmm. And finally, once we get to Hobbes and Locke and Rousseau, we start to see the triumph of reason in our own selves and in our own culture, in our, in our larger shared humanity. And it's fascinating to me that... that uh, that our goal is to get people to that 30%. And that, that when the the Constitution was written in the 1700s, back when the franchise was more limited, this is one of the, the interesting things about limiting the franchise, and so I'm going to be a, a little bit uh, uh, potentially uh, uh, contentious here, but when the franchise was restricted to literate people that owned property, that is very much a, a sort of environmental test to see who can think about the future in a long-term way, who can make deals and honor them in a long-term way, and who has the game theory to accrue wealth and, and hold it in this pre-industrial society. And the only people that could do that at that time were conscientious adults. And so with the expansion of the franchise and the universalization of the franchise, every adult is now invited into the decision-making. Well, yes, go and, ahead. And the, the, what's important about that, the, the belief is that if you have disinterested voters and you add them into a, to a democracy, well, a disinterested voter is basically a random variable, we think, right? right? And so as long as all of those disinterested voters are independent and identically distributed, that would be the technical term, then that assumption is correct. But if those disinterested new voters are not independently distributed, if they don't fly randomly like ping pong balls, if instead they are correlated to one another and create feedback loops with one another, then that assumption that the franchise is necessarily preserved and that, that the, you get the same kinds of decision making is not necessarily true. Okay. So what – okay. And by the way, that population is frozen at about 35 percent? 35 percent with All about right. another 15 percent to go as uh, we continue okay. climbing the levels of development. All right. Good. Then we're going to get into why it is so hard to communicate based on the Absolutely. Where adults fall along this paradigm. Great. Lewis Hallman is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Lewis Hallman of Inside Analytics is my guest, breaking down 
building up to why it is that society can't talk with one another anymore using a um, using an outline or a paradigm that was created by a political psychologist named um, uh, Jean Piaget. Jean Piaget. Go on, uh, uh, Louis. So we've gotten to about. 80-plus percent of the population. That, that's exactly right. So we, okay. we've talked about uh, uh, the first half of the population. We were building up to what is a conscientious adult. We, we discovered that the uh, bulk of the population, uh, the plurality, I should say, not the majority, 40% roughly, are self-conscious or in that teenager home, and that this has actually contributed, we think, to some of the decline in the quality of our, of our political discourse because we have people uh, uh, who aren't, necessarily fully thinking through issues or playing sort of a tribal game with it, and that is deranging our policy. Okay. And this is not, I, I will say, unique to any one party. These, po- these percentages are broadly applicable to all sides here. And genders? Yes, indeed. Okay. And so, so this is a, this is a long-run okay. uh, uh, study over the broadest possible sample. Okay. So we've talked about our conscientious adults, and now I'd like to turn our attention to what's called the individualist stages. Now, what happens next after you, you've sort of gotten to that conscientious adult stage where we've, ta- we've mastered our, our first second person, I am, the second person, you are, and the third person, he, she, it is. With the, the next stage, you start to think about another dimension up, which is the fourth dimension or time. And in doing so, you start to think about and conceptualize not only how you arrived at your own, own morals, but how other people arrive at theirs. And there, there comes with that thought process all sorts of tensions and struggles and relativism. So let me, let me give you a brief description, if I may, of the individualist stage. An individualistic stage describes what a person can see with a fourth-person perspective. People now realize that the things are not necessarily what they seemed at earlier stages because of the interpretation of reality always stems from the position of the observer. Thus, the idea of the participant observer, the observer who influences what he observes, is now becoming a consistent preoccupation. One can never be totally detached and objective as rational and scientific outlook of the conscientious stage would have it. The same object or event can have different meanings, but for different observers, for the same observer in different contexts and at different times. What does this sound like to you, Seth? A parallax view of things. It sounds like the awful continentalist relativism that started to creep into our hearts, minds, and cultures in the 19th century. Okay. And it, 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 starts, also, it starts to sound also, I think, like the prototypical roots of globalization, okay. Okay. A, a, a global view of the world. Okay. Once we start to realize that other people exist and they have complicated sets of morality, there's a trap here that people can fall into that they can't then distinguish between the validity of their own moral systems and another's moral system which then leads to complete paralysis uh, and, and a sort of toxic universalism that I, I would argue is very, very, very common on the left. Okay. I would argue, again, that the right is more preoccupied with the foibles of that previous stage, the conscientious mm-hmm. stage of mm-hmm. the Enlightenment era that we mm-hmm. discussed. Mm-hmm. And the left's foibles you will see much more frequently in this individualist stage, okay. the sort of madness, the, the, uh, the gender wars that we have about culture, uh, the... Uh, uh, preoccupation with redistribution and the justness of of other people and their welfare. This starts to crop up quite a lot in this stage of development. Okay. 
and this is about 15% of about the population? About 15% of the population. Okay, and that gets us pretty much the whole range. Almost entirely. That, that leaves us with about 5%. And I'd like to just, there, there are higher stages than this last one, but I'd like to just kind just of- Just give it a blanket. Just, just yeah. cap it off here. So yeah. once we get to that, that relativist stage where you start to realize that, you know, there, there are really different ways to view the world, how do you contain that? Yeah. Where do you come out of the other end? Because that, that seems like a really thorny problem, right, right? right? To be mired in that sort of relativism. And the way that you emerge from that soup is the realization that though there are many ways to conceptualize moral systems and, and problems in the world, ultimately, the one that is truest is the one that iterates over time successfully. Okay. Game theory is the Occam's razor here that peels away all of the waste and the nonsense and and the sheer blanket noise okay. of that relativistic framework that we were discussing. Okay. And it is that final stage, the autonomous stage, that I think is really powerful. And it is also at that final stage where one gains the ability to look back at oneself and one's, one's perceptions throughout the other stages. Typically, one is entombed, as it were, in the stage where you're currently at. It is okay. very difficult to go back and to think of right. how you saw the world previously. All right. From Jean Piaget, I'm going to take us back to Plato, if I can. I would love that. When we come back, because I think it helps put a little bit of uh, meat on these bones. Thank you. Lewis Hallman is my guest. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. Lewis Hallman is my guest from Insight Analytics, and he outlined a really interesting uh, series of explanations for the problems we have communicating politically and socially, really, uh, in society, using Jean Piaget or a Piaget a Piagetian model, um, let me try it this way, Lewis, and you tell me how this fits in, or maybe it doesn't. I look at a lot of this, and I can see how people in different stages here, or who exist throughout these different stages, would have a hard time conversing with one another, whether it's on so- social media, whether it's through traditional news media, whether it's through political dialogue between two people directly. I often think about two concepts, um, and I start with Plato's allegory of the cave, if I might. All right. I know you know it. But basically you have people who are looking at shadows in a cave because they're chained and they're only facing one side of a wall, the opening, the light is behind them. They don't realize there's an opening behind them. You can escape, Someone, some escape, some get out, the chains wear out, they go outside, their eyes are blinded by the light, um, but they realize that everything they've seen before is um, an image. It's not the real thing because now they see the real thing. Um, they are enlightened, one might say. Um, and now what do they want to do? They want to go back into the cave and tell their, their ex-lawnsmen or their fellow their ex-prisoners um, that what they're seeing is not real. What do the prisoners want to do when they're told this? They want to beat him to death. They want to kill him. They write. They want to kill the enlightened. Which is uh, this a, has to fit in here somewhere? It, it, it absolutely does. Okay. It, it, it is. It is very, very difficult. And and we we talked about this a little bit in, in in a previous segment. I think that that going backwards is incredibly challenging. You you really can't. Uh, 
you know, it, even thinking of yourself, it's it's very it's, it's, t- it's it's very hard, right. and and again, it only really exists at the very upper tippy tops of that. I heard Matt Walsh the other day say the only time he can think of going backwards is that we don't have supersonic flight anymore. The Concorde <laughs> to Europe, we scratched yes. it. Right? We used to be able to do it in three hours. It's now still a seven-hour thing. Exactly. I think he said that's the only example he could think of. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. And so, so, you're, but you're you're exactly right. You know, it, it is very very difficult to talk through and force someone into seeing a higher stage of development mm-hmm. or, or, or moving along. And, and frankly, what you have to do is you have to meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. And so, what you have to do if you're if you're writing political thought or or you're you're writing a political message is you want to think through how is it going to be perceived by someone who's thinking like that stage three thinker, like, like that teenager person. Right. How would a conscientious adult perceive this? Right. How would someone who's mired in relativism perceive this? Right. And if you can start communicating across multiple planes of engagement simultaneously, can you? I think so. So can you do it at with people who are at the stage? Um, you might have to co- you, you might have to use different messaging. In the click group, I think, is how I put it down. They're in that kind of maybe expert or technician team group because I th- I thought when you were describing that, they're always right. I, I was hearing you describe someone who suffers something like perhaps narcissistic personality disorder. So they can never be wrong, and everything is everyone else's fault. So I, I mean, there, there are a lot of ways to come up with okay. that 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 sort of okay. of okay. Uh, uh, you know, feeling right. Okay. You know that 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 perpetual. Uh, there there are a lot of teenagers who think that they're always right. They're not all narcissists. Okay, okay, um, okay. But cer- certainly there is. But an there are a lot of adults who think they're always right. Right, and tend to be narcissists, or at least have narcissistic traits, or right. addicts. Sure. You know. Uh, uh, um, you know. So so, what you have to do then is, and and maybe it's you have to communicate using different channels, right? So instead of putting out one political message, maybe the same campaign now has to put out four and write them at different levels of understanding so that they can communicate you know, with as broad a slice as possible. And what you'd also want to be very careful of is as you're writing those messages for each of those four levels of understanding, that the nuance that you're giving to the relativist doesn't scare and contradict what you're saying to the teenager yeah. or the little kid-minded yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. And so that is a very, very challenging thing. And I, I don't think that people uh, are, are used to doing it well. But I, I really wanted to share this conceptualization of stages of thinking with people because ever since I learned about it, I can't get it out of my head. I, have been, I find myself filtering not only how I think, right, into these different buckets, right? Right. Uh, as just a metacognitive exercise, right. but also – how people how around me with, are right. thinking and, and dealing and then how I can how do you alter and tailor my communication style so that they understand me and, and we actually make progress on what matters. That, well, OK. On that point, though, does that mean Republican government, small r, can succeed or ultimately is doomed? So, uh, again, everything that we've talked about applies equally, I think, to both sides of the spectrum. Okay. Right? There are just as many teenager-minded people on the Democratic right. side as on the Republican right. side. Right. Now, I think there are probably more of those relativist types on, on the okay. left than there are on the right. And okay. there are probably more of those autonomous adults on the right than there are on the left. Okay. But that aside, uh, the lower levels of the, of the tree are pretty much even split. Okay. And so I, I, this isn't about setting us up to... to, to to say that we win for certainty, it's more 
an understanding of the landscapes. You know, Donald Trump, when he ran in, in 2016, uncovered something that no one had talked about really politically before, and that is the concept of the exurb, right? Mm-hmm. This demographic right. tranche right. That, that didn't exist. And, and in doing this and, and in talking about this with you, Seth, and with the audience, I'm, I'm hoping to try to raise awareness of what I think is going to be a new political concept okay. that, that carries those sorts of legs. That changes sort of the structure of how we think about campaigning and politics. And given that it's an election year, I want to start with this message early so that all of the very smart and engaged people who are listening to us right now can think about what are the messaging that they see, who is it talking to, and how do they communicate then with those that they're trying to influence and and spread good ideas and good policy in a way that's actually effective. Because you can't reason with a teenager, and so we have to come up with another way to do it. Right, 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 right. So I'm now thinking about that very point sociologically. I think that's the right way to think of it or say it. Using someone I know whose work you also esteem, Brett Weinstein. Love that guy. Yeah, and his wife, Heather Haying. So in their book, they talk about this phenomenon, and they're not the first, but they do a very good explication of this phenomenon of children in adult bodies, mm-hmm. that we suffer a lot of arrested development right. here. Right, and, and th- this is exactly what we're talking yes, about here. This right. is exactly the notion. And, and again, you know, and, and what we've just discussed, frankly, that the plurality, the largest single developmental group in our society among adults are basically teenagers in adult bodies. Right, right. Which is fascinating and terrifying. Right, it is terrifying because, yeah, well, it's terrifying because it it, it makes communication hard for one thing it makes explanation of your point of view difficult for another thing but also we're governed by a lot of this too that we have to yield to i mean we have to submit to a society that is governed by a damned lot of people who are suffering from arrested development absolutely and the key distinction between that teenager stage of development and the adult stage of development is the ability to understand and and take in multiple points of view Mm -hmm. and generate compromise that is the sole ability that 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 government functions upon and if we are ruled by teenagers then all of that that ability has been leached out of our system. But there probably is, maybe we wrap up on this in the last small segment when we come back, but there probably is a key to unlocking that in the understanding of how you have to communicate to that type of person. I definitely and I'll think that's see true. if we can do that. Lewis Hallman is my guest. We'll be right back. Portions of this show brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They have an investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio that really invests you With control, you can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. Flexibility. There's no attack on principle. If you ever need your money back, there are absolutely no fees. And you get, of course, a monthly statement with no surprises. With Y-Refi, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. And it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-24, 888-Y-REFI-24. If someone wants, Lewis, I'll let you close and tell us how to overcome this strategically. If someone wants kind of an ideal of the problem here, think of family members, friends, whatever, during COVID, and one side just will not meet the other side's analysis on it, right? That would be kind of a template of the problem. Absolutely. I could think of others, but that's one. Go ahead. So uh, just as we close, I want to give a a shout out and a nod. The paper I've been referencing this entire time is called Ego Development, Nine Levels of Increasing Embrace. It's by Suzanne Cook-Gruder. 
Uh, and it really, really is a remarkable piece of scholarship. It is freely available on Google. Should you just uh, uh, type in the title, you should be able to find it very easily. So we've been talking about the problem of teenagerhood, uh, the fact that teenagers seemingly rule our, uh, the roost uh, cognitively. There are more people in that stage of development than any other. And I'd like irrespective to close... Irrespective of their age. Irrespective of age. And I'd like to close here... Yep. Uh, talking about the main anxiety and language clues about whether you're dealing with these people. So the main anxiety, having just recently discovered that they are their own separate person, self-conscious people fear losing this sense of uniqueness. They fear being reabsorbed and getting drawn back into the fold, into the mass of others. They also fear that if they should open themselves to others' views, they might lose their current certainty and strong sense of self. This fear of incompleteness and vulnerability is often counteracted by having a strong front. Hmm. So hmm. that is that is the challenge right there. How on earth do we correct someone whose sense of self is entirely mired in their their identity as being correct? It's a challenge. And I think it takes careful, slow undercutting. And what it absolutely does not require and should be avoided at all cost is any kind of ad hominem, right. any kind of attack, any work. kind of just insulting. Yelling that, that is how we, we, we just we create divisions. That's how you're... you're Family Thanksgiving table is an irreconcilable mess year after year after year after year. Yeah, yeah. If we want political discourse in this country to be fruitful and useful, then the impetus should be on us to understand the, uh, the person on the other side of the table, tailor our communication so that it's effective with them. If conservatives want to be good about conserving the society that they want, then they have to really understand it and act like they understand it. Well, you're not going to get this on NPR. Well, uh, thank you, everyone. Um, thank you, Lewis Holman. On behalf of uh, young David, Teresa, and Lewis, the rest of uh, our crew here, I'm Seth Leibson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. And class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.